Hey, I'm Colin from Blackjack Apprenticeship, and I'm joined by Gina Fiore, a.k.a. Miss Brown, a.k.a. Rx Gamble. Thank you for sitting down and sharing a little bit about your story. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Okay, great. <laughs> Can you tell people that don't know how you got into Advantage Play? Yes, I was a dealer. I was a 21 dealer when I was 21, and I didn't like my job, and I didn't have any idea what else I could do. I wanted to be a musician. That was kind of, that was what I wanted to do, but that's very hard to do. A singer or play? In- I played guitar. Oh, okay. And we used to play in local lounges. We used to have a Saturday residency at Gordon Biersch. Oh, wow. So I was playing, but I was just gigging locally. So I got a job as a dealer because I wasn't really making any other money. And, and there was a guy at my job who quit. And I said, what are you going to do? Did you get a new job? And he said, I've told this story, but he said, I'm going to uh, count cards. I'm going to play poker and count cards in Laughlin. That's what he said. That's a quote. And it was at that moment I had, it was like a plot point. I had an epiphany like, oh my God. Because I had heard of card counting from my mother when she was a dealer at the Horseshoe and I was in high school. And she told me she thought I'd be good at it. She doesn't even know what it is. She she saw people getting kicked out and it had something to do with math and I was good at math. So I heard this guy say he was going to do it for a living and I was, you can do that for a living? This is a thing? And I became obsessed, completely obsessed. So I got some books and I... I, I was obsessed that there's no other word for it. And I would just study at home by myself. I didn't know any professional gamblers. I didn't know any poker players, but that was it. That's what turned me out basically. And what was your card counting experience like? I went downtown and I joined BJ 21 and I knew that high up two and AO two advanced Omega two gave the biggest edges rather than high low. So I said, I'm going to do one of those. And I went downtown to the bookstore and high up two was behind the counter. And AO2 was in a book, Blackjack for Blood, on the shelf. And I don't know what to get, but I Blackjack for Blood was a book where uh, where high up two was just the indices and the count. So I got Blackjack for Blood and I read it and I loved it. And it it was more than just counting cards. It was stories about traveling and about cover and and disguising yourself. And I learned advanced omega two. And and looking back, I guess it was hard to learn, but not anything that people will say. Oh, that sounds so hard. I couldn't do that. But I taught myself, and I, I'd have um, decks of cards on my counter, and I'd you know it would be like six decks five and a half or five and three quarters, five and a half, five and one quarter. And it just went down so I could like eyeball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just taught myself using that book. And then I started asking more questions on BJ 21. And well, you were obsessed. I was obsessed. And you're good at math. Not that good at math. Well, you said you were. My mom said I was good. Oh, your mom said you were good at math. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Low level stuff. I'm probably better than average, but I'm not good at math. Maybe the obsession is what. I was obsessed. But then you started playing and what what was that journey like? I was dealing blackjack and I'd practice while I was dealing. And I was dealing mostly shoes. So I'd be doing AO2 in my head, counting aces on the side, dealing a shoe. So that got me really good really fast. And then I started playing on my days off. I was dealing in Palm Springs and I started playing at like Saboba and 29 Palms. And I won right away, which 
was motivating. And I remember I had been playing six months. I'd been card, I'd been card counting for six months. I still had my job and I was at $20,000. And it, even though I didn't have a lot of money, it didn't seem like a lot of money. And I remember telling a poker player friend that I had made that I was up $20,000 and he was just like, wow, that's a lot of money. And at that point I thought, oh, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm being successful. That was the moment. And so how did it go from that? I mean, were you getting backed off? Saboba, so they backed me off so fast. I guess we were betting big, but but were you getting backed off? Or were you getting hours in? I was getting hours in. I was so aggressive too. I was betting black because I had money from my job. I was I was making six. I was making a hundred hundred ten, and so I had money. So I was betting green and black. I didn't. I wasn't getting backed off. I was super aggressive. I was in and out. I wasn't like camping at a table, and. Yeah, I, wa- I wasn't getting backed off, actually. Then how did it lead from that to getting into more advanced skills? Um, I heard about hole carding on BJ21, and I couldn't believe you could see a hole card. Like, how, did, how do you see that? And then somebody showed me one once, and I got obsessed again. And then I started just walking around constantly looking for hole cards, looking for hole cards. And I knew that if I got blackjack heat, sorry, card counting heat, it would affect me playing whole cards when I finally found a game. So I stopped card counting. I just walked around, walked around. And then I had eventually found dealers and I had my paper list of my dealers. I'd write them down. I'd write how good they are, carry these. I still have these lists. I just found them a little while ago and I'd check my games and yeah. And I had a plan that I was going to bet $35 a hand, which is a terrible bet size because when you get a blackjack, they have to convert, right? Terrible bet size, but I was going to bet $35 a hand and play X amount of hours per week and make 100K a year. I had this whole, and that's not what I did, but I had a, I had a plan. Where, had you quit your job by the time you got into hole carding? I quit my job after I started hole carding, okay. not until I mm-hmm. knew how to do that. Okay, yeah. and how long were you just focused on hole carding? Uh, ever okay well i mean i learned other things like i learned to see the back card in baccarat and like you know count i one card baccarat i don't know if you know what i'm talking about like you see the back card in baccarat and they do the fan and you can figure out when that's coming out which is one hand like whatever not a huge deal but i started doing that and then i tried shuffle tracking i wasn't very good at that um I played online bonuses when I quit my job, which helped. I think I won 20K doing that, and it was a nice little boost. I don't. I learned stuff as I went, but hole carding was the main thing for the first six to eight years, I would say. What's the most difficult play you've pulled off that you can share? Mm. I don't think I can share. <laughs> don't think I can share. Whole carding. We'll see. Whole carding could be it can be difficult to set it up to, to set it up and avoid detection. That's not it though. I don't think I can get it. But there are some plays that are difficult and after I play I need to sleep mm-hmm. because my brain is just on fire. I need to and even like with other plays or even with whole carding once I'm done with the trip it leaves me mm-hmm. like the strategy leaves me and I'll be on a plane for my next whole carding trip. And, Oh, now we have to play uh, six deck shoe with these rules and I have flashcards and I'll have to like go through them again. Mm-hmm. And then well, that's good for people to hear. Yeah. Like you, you gotta continue to study your, your craft. Yeah. I would have uh, I have a 
index cards, just like you're studying language. And I've got like single deck, you know, stand 17, or I've got double deck, um, you know, double 10, 11 only. Like I've got the whole set. So like, what are the rules? Give me the flashcards. I need these for like a couple hours. What's the most time you've put into learning up a skill, a play or a skill? Well, whole carding you do, it's learn on the job. Card counting, I studied, I had to have studied over a hundred hours because I didn't count until I knew what I was doing. So there was that. We tried to make a Pi Gao tiles team. And so we had to practice before we got there. And there was there were six of us and we'd we'd practice in an apartment, we'd set up tables and play tiles, and then a couple of weeks we practiced till we decided we couldn't do it mm. because none of us were Asian and it just wasn't going to fly. Like how are we possibly going to get this move down? So that was two weeks, but we didn't we didn't play that. There was a move um there was a move that I played pre COVID and it was something that I figured out which is rare to come up with something that's not written anywhere. I haven't seen it written anywhere and I had to have I had to have somebody make the strategy for this move and so just going to get information about the move and then having somebody make the strategy and then go in and where are we going to sit? Like how are we going to get this move down? That took it was out of town so it took a lot of trips. I don't know how many hours, but it took a good 6 weeks to get that down. That sounds that, that sounds like a movie. <laughs> in, <laughs> that and the group of people in in an apartment or whatever the, practicing yeah. how tiles. Six white, five white guys and a white girl. All of us young. Like, how do we figure out what the dealer has? Like, doing our thing. And there's a book. There was a book. I don't remember what it was to help with that. Some of these questions come from our forum, and one of them is, "What are the realities of being a female AP?" Or is there anything that comes to mind? Um, you know. We've got a handful mm-hmm. um, that are members, are a few of them full-time mm-hmm. card counters, or maybe they've added, added some other skills. But um, what would you say are some of those realities? I think most APs get into it, are brought in by another Advantage player. I wasn't, but I think mostly you know someone and they bring you in. And when women are brought in, it's usually by a guy, and they're they're in the student role, which we all start out that way, and they never leave the student role. Like guys will branch out or they'll learn and they'll be an equal. And I don't know if it's like consciously or not subconsciously, but the woman is usually not an equal or ever or if not as soon. And the woman actually plays it back also. Like they're less, um, less alpha. I don't know how else to say this. They're less willing to try to take the lead i don't know why that is but it happens so the woman comes in as a student and then i've talked to guys too who bring their girlfriend in or i've had conversations and the girlfriend isn't part of the conversation and so i always try to look at them and like talk to them specifically because i'm like no you do this too you're not just like tagging along so that's one thing i think if you're skilled you the whole are you a woman or not kind of goes away I think if you can hold your own if you get if you join a team or whatever let's forget about that if you actually do move past the student role if you can hold your own your own you're fine I felt I was never no one ever said don't put Miss Brown on a game because she's female it would be like who's the best reader okay Miss Brown well that's fine I remember hearing you talk about you think it's harder as far as being recognizable 
Yeah, I think guys can change their look way easier than a girl, for sure. Because when we change our look, it's... It's got to be, it's a wig. Like, if we want to change our hair, it's a wig. Where if a guy wants to change his hair, he doesn't have to, he can grow it out pretty quick and have, like, a little ponytail. Or a thing that guys can do really easily is just have, like, a a wig, a short-haired mullet wig, and put on a baseball cap, and it looks natural. And they don't have to have it lined up right here, because if you're wearing a wig, it has to be, like, lined up, or it looks ridiculous. And then makeup guys think, well, they can just put makeup on. It's like, it doesn't work like that. Mm. It doesn't change if you have to change your whole personality, you're either going to dress like you're homeless or you're going to dress like you're going to the club. And if you dress like you're going to the club, you're going to get all the attention. I think you're more recognizable. We, we had, um, I think I've told you this before, but we had um, a couple women on our team and they got more attention in the high limit rooms from surveillance because they just wanted to watch them. Yeah, yeah. And then they're like, wait, what what is happening here with the bets or whatever? Yeah. And they drew attention simply because, because the they were one. surveillance one. But you also, they don't think you are smart because casinos are misogynistic. So I get away, I've gotten away with playing the same game or going into the casino and, and I'll add to it. Like I'll, I'll count on my fingers. That always gets them. Like I have a 14 and I draw like a three and like, and it gets them all the time. But if you can, when you get recognized, you're you're more memorable. But you can go longer without being recognized if you just stay under the radar and quiet. You had a short film just premiere at Tribeca, right? Yeah. How did that get made? What was behind all that? There was a woman, a writer, director, producer who was researching. She was writing a short about a female um, like hustler, cheater, something like that. And so she was researching and she found my website and my blog and she was like taken back and she thought this is a real person, this is real life. So she contacted me and I. this is a thing about being a woman AP. You get contacted to do these shows or these interviews because I'm the token female. They want me to talk because who could we talk to? And people will say, talk to Miss Brown. And I don't like to do those because they'll ask you, what's it like being a woman? Or they'll, they'll play on that. Like, and I don't like it. Mm. Or they'll, or they'll want to talk about what's your biggest win. And I just, I'm not, it's boring. So she reached out and she said I could have creative control. Like if I didn't want to talk about anything, if I didn't want to, whatever. And I trusted her and I knew she was creative and she'd do a good job. And I immediately thought I want to be friends with you. So so yeah, so I did it, and it's it's like 25 minutes. It's an episode of a series called Sports Explains the World. And she gave me the script, and she's like, what do you want to change? So I, I said, this is how we talk. These are the signals. I was there when they were filming, and I got to say, there was one scene where security comes to back my character off, and they run away. And I was like, no. She has to take her chips when she runs away. Like, so, you know, you got to yes. do it over. It's just the little things. Like, she has to grab, you know. So it's it's me talking and telling stories and then a reenactments. But it's done, like, really well. And she never mentions that I'm a woman. Mm. Not one time. We never mention it. Yeah. I'm just a professional, successful gambler. And it's never mentioned. But uh, she did a great job. So got into Tribeca into the short competition for a short feature, short documentary. Yeah, it was really fun, and people liked it. And it's it's just about card counting, mostly. Hmm. And people, yeah, I was like, is this really that interesting? But yeah, she did a good job. It was her that got it in. 
is it going to be out there? Yeah, there's a whole series and I, it'll be on a streaming service. I I thought by the end of the year, I mean, I thought by now, but hopefully by the end of the year. Did you have any fears or concerns about showing your face in the show? No, I kind of, I crossed, I crossed that bridge a few years ago. I did a podcast for the ringer which was another thing I didn't want to do. And I've been trying to sell a book for years. So David Hill is the host of The Ringer. And he said, we'll make this like a book proposal. Like, I'll make this good. Please don't worry. I will edit this well. And I trusted him. And we're good friends now. And I said, okay, I trust you. And so he did. He made it like a book proposal. And then that happened. And then Queen's Gambit came out. And then I was able to option my story rights. And so... I need, I don't want to say a brand, but I needed to not be anonymous. Yeah. I needed to have a name and a face. And so, and I was already writing a blog and then I figured I'd put my face on it. So I, I lost some opportunities, but I think I gained more than I lost. Yeah. Well, you're, you're used to taking gambles. So. Yeah, I took a gamble. <laughs> you played, but you also ran teams. Mm. What did you enjoy? Cause I mean, I loved playing. Yeah. And then I didn't, and then I loved running teams. Did you? Like it felt empowering to train up and to help people have success with it. Yeah. Uh, it was stressful. Um, especially when we're losing and you know, which probably was some of the stuff you were doing that weren't the swings yeah. that we had. But anyway, what you're saying though, we, we had a high win rate. So it's a lot more fun when everyone's winning. Like we had a really high win rate for years and years. So that makes it a lot of fun. And I think your team was bigger. What was your max? Maybe like all tested out at once, maybe 14. Okay. So our max was 12, but we'd only go on a trip with four to six people, three to six, depending. I liked working with people. I like working with people. Even now I have one partner that I still work with from, you know, 15 years ago. And whenever I, whenever I think I have a spot, even if I don't need a partner, I'm like, Hey, I have this thing and we're, you know, this thing and I want to do it and I want to do it with someone. And so I want to do it with you. And usually he's like, no, that's not good. Like nine out of 10 times. He's like, no, that I don't, that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. But that one out of 10 times that he's like, yeah, this is good. And then he does it with me and we usually do really well. I just like working with people. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like the managerial side? So it it was a democracy and there was like a, a numbers guy. Like I didn't do that. And then we do the chop and sometimes somebody else would be better at that. Or we'd go on trips and it wasn't, we had a, we had a like circuit we do and we kind of knew one who was going on what. So we never had to decide like all the time. But I remember there was one time where we didn't have investors, but there were a couple of us who were bringing all the money on trips and we were playing so big that it got to be a lot of money. If we had a losing trip, people owed a lot of money and we'd always get it back. Like we always got it back. But at some point we were the most skilled and we were bankrolling the trip or all the trips. And a couple people thought we should be making more because it was an even chop always, always. And I remember we changed the chop and people were very upset. And it felt really bad. And looking back, I shouldn't have changed the job. I just shouldn't have done it. And we didn't change it a lot. It was like, we're going to get this much more because we're bringing the money. I shouldn't have done that. I regret that. But that was the most uncomfortable. Yeah. 
in an earlier team, it was four of us, there was all this talk about, well, not everybody's carrying the same weight, and so mm-hmm. who gets what? And it was like, it just made it so much less fun. Yeah, yes. It made it less fun, and people were, um, people were, uh, what's it called? Uh, they were not, not respected. They were offended. They were offended that you would say, but then when you put it on paper, it's like, well, I'm doing all these jobs that make me want to sleep for a week, and I'm bringing the money, and we we're making a ton of money. I remember there was this one guy who was like not very skilled at all, and he worked part time, and he was like making 150 for like the last two years. He was so mad, and I thought, why are you mad? Like, I understand why someone else, whatever. I do regret it. I don't. That was the worst part of it, running a team. Yeah. Yeah, having it not work out with people that I want to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. Is brutal. Yeah. We had we had to let a couple people go that I still to this day like I like them, we're friends. But it's just brutal to say, hey, we can't. We're a business. It, it doesn't make sense business-wise. I'm yeah. sorry. That's, uh, we, that's- we had paid players who just got paid a flat fee. So that wasn't an issue. It's like, you're not skilled. You're doing these other jobs. Here's 1500 for the weekend. Get room service, like whatever. But then we had you know, full-time members and the skill levels were different. I shouldn't have done that. I regret that. But mm. yeah, it was uncomfortable. What are some key mistakes new hole carters make? New hole carters. They're too low. They're too obvious. Too low to the table. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you shouldn't Mm -hmm. have to. You can sit like this and see a hole card if you're on the ground. Well, and and what's, you know, you're going to ruin it for yourself, but for everyone too, right? Yeah. If if I just go and like uh, get really low and wear a hat. I think people are less concerned about ruining it for other players because the environment is more competitive. And when you find a game, most of the time people think they want to kill it before someone else gets to it because someone else is going Mm. to kill it. But like jumping on a game, you think you're jumping on a game and you know, you have as much right to it as the other person on there. Okay, fine. But you don't know if you're jumping into someone else's heat. Like you're just like money, whole card. I want the money, but you're not, they could have heat and they could be just, you know, playing through the heat or you have no idea. And if you get caught with them, the other thing is like, I've, I've done this before. I've played a session and we have a, we have a table win. We know how much we could win before we get heat. So we win whatever it is. And then I've seen another hole carder try to get on the table and I, I won't leave my seat where they can get the hole card because they're going to get a seat. They're going to come in and win as much and they're going to play irresponsibly. So I'm just going to sit there for six hours and bet my $10 and you can't have my seat. And then the other thing I was talking about earlier is playing a whole card game and then going to check slots. Like you need to choose. If you're playing whole cards there, you're not checking slots there. If you're checking slots there, go come back another day to scout for whole cards. That's a big tell. The level of effort you put into treating it professionally, like cleaning up a game. Yeah. Um, just thinking through how to do this in a way mm-hmm. that's, smart for the long term and the short short term and and to keep the casino off your case that probably very difficult for a new person to, to there's think so that much to know there's so much to know and like cleaning up a game like i've seen games where there are multiple hole Can you carters explain what, what that means oh yeah so cleaning up there are multiple hole carters dealer goes home everyone leaves the table and so cleaning up a game is like my bp just won whatever I don't think we have heat. I stay behind for half an hour, an hour, and I continue to play. 
and I see if they're what they say about him. I see if heat comes down. I don't want to look like I'm with him. I might go to another table. Like I'm cleaning up. I'm not just like, oh, we're done. I'm leaving. Like you, it's really important to clean up the game. So smart. It's just probably a lot of newer people don't think that. If way. somebody doesn't tell you that, and if they're not doing it as their job, they don't care as much if they get backed off. I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. What would you say is roughly the hourly ratio scouting to playing? Oh. For whole carters. It depends where you are. It depends if you're playing carnival games or just blackjack. It just depends. I can't even give a... It's more hour scouting, obviously, by a lot. But I don't... Because then when you find a game, you can go play it for eight hours. Let's say you play it 20 times and you didn't have to walk around. But let's say you had to walk around 50 hours to find it. So it's hard to give an answer to that. So I know you've been involved in some high-profile court cases. Mm. Do you you mind sharing that story of how it it happened? The Supreme Court one? Yeah. uh, I'll give the short version. And also, do you you wish you would have taken more legal action? Yes. Oh, you mean in other areas or that one? Yes, both. I was detained somewhere for four hours and the cops just uh, taunted me for four hours. And so I sued a casino and we settled and we were new. We didn't have big bankrolls and I wish we didn't settle. That's a regret settling because we had such a good case. So I regret that for sure. We could have, they, they had no argument. They had no leg to stand on. So we, we sued Metro and we sued at the casino. So I wish I didn't settle. And then the Supreme Court thing, we were traveling from Las Vegas to Atlantic City to Puerto Rico, back to Las Vegas. And when we left Puerto Rico, we had $100,000 on us. And TSA saw it while we were leaving. And they alerted, they said, you might get stopped when you get to your destination. So we actually got stopped on our layover in Atlanta and by DEA agents. And they surrounded us and they took every dollar we had because they said it was drug money. And it's a free roll for them wasn't drug money and so that was a whole thing and then we came and we I was very honest with them and I was showing them trip logs and I'm a professional gambler and this is my name and this is where I live and, da, da, da. and so he said if you can prove this stuff when you get back we'll give you your money back so uh, Bob Narcessian was the lawyer and he sent our tax returns and professional gambler I've been putting professional gambler for you know how many decades now and and they wouldn't give the money back. And so it was eight months of, if you take a lie detector test, we'll give you the money back. No, no. And I was, we were fortunate that we were still working. The 100K wasn't our bankroll. We still could work. So we had that going for us. So then they said, if you sign something that you won't sue, we'll give you the money back. I was, nope, let's keep going. So they gave the money back and then we immediately sued the DEA agent. He lied saying that we, wouldn't, we weren't honest with who we were some better wording than that so we sued in nevada nevada courts kicked it out because it happened in georgia uh we appealed it ended up appeal 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 it ended up in the ninth circuit ninth circuit said you can sue in nevada great the only way he can appeal is to the supreme court of the united states and they don't hear case they hear like you know less than one percent of cases that they get a year and so they took our case and they heard it and at this point, we're suing over jurisdiction, or we're at the Supreme Court over jurisdiction. Where can you sue? If, if the crime happens here, can you sue here? That was the question. 
and we lost. And I guess it was a big deal because companies have been, companies wanted the ruling that they got. You have to sue. Like if you're a company and you're based here and something happens here, well, where do you have to sue? It's harder for the company if you sue, sue here, so you have to sue in their state. That I'm giving a very short explanation. So we lost the jurisdiction argument and then I could have sued in Georgia and I wanted to, but at that point, it was just to prove a point. It was always to prove a point and there's no money in it. And I couldn't find a lawyer who was not passionate, but interested, who even cared. Like you got your money back. This was so many, like long ago, like, why do you care? So, so I didn't sue in Georgia, but the jurisdiction, it, it was a big deal for jurisdiction. Now it's like part of the syllabus in like law school, uh, your first year or two, they teach Walden v. Fiore. Like hmm. that's the case. And I've had a lot of lawyers say, oh, I heard about your case. We had to study your case, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, we lost. So with the other one too, do you feel like you wish you would have not settled to prove, prove a point? It was, yeah, it was to prove a point, but it was also like, I want to take more money from you where it hurts. Yeah. Because you you locked us in a back room for four hours and you scared us and you, it was not nice. It was yeah. not nice what they did. <laughs> so. Well, I could see you, uh, like on Twitter, you're passionate about um, the civil forfeiture stuff that's happening it's just all over. How? Like, I don't, they just take your money and then it's a free roll. And we were lucky that we didn't need the 100K and that we had the 10K to pay our lawyer to get it back. And then we had a lawyer that knew we were gamblers and was like, okay and I was fortunate that I didn't have like like can you imagine me being like 19 years old and I got caught with a joint or something stupid and it's like well she has a history of drug this or that anything like any little thing so we were lucky 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 but it happens to people where that's all of their money and if and people say well the only people who carry money are criminals okay change the law then just change it because right now the law is you know you can carry any amount of money makes me really mad it's not okay it's just not no it's not and it would have been nice to to win a case against the agent and have people be able to point to that case as precedent and mm -hmm. say this is you know the fiori case but that's not what happened so changing changing yeah. no i get i get i know up. it's not I know. okay i know it is really it's so frustrating what is it about advantage play that resonates with you it's fun to figure things out and i'm not in the casino as often as i used to be but I still make my living full time from gambling. Like that's how I make my living because I figured out how to win betting sports and it's fun. It is fun to figure that stuff out and to make money betting college basketball where I never met, made money betting college basketball. Like it's just, it's fun. It's a fun brain exercise. The move I was talking about that I figured out myself, I'm so proud of this because usually you you go off of a move that someone else figured out or that's been around for like decades, a hundred years, whatever it is. But there was one thing I figured out myself and having to figure out how to get that down was, we lost money on the move, but it was so fun to like do this new thing that like we figured out, we made the strategy. It's just, it's fun. I remember you wrote a blog post about the, the energy you put into your backstory. Oh God, yeah. I, well, why do you say, oh God, yeah. Because that's another brain exercise. I put way too much energy into where am I from? Why am I here? Well, what do you do? And also, I don't want to make, I don't want to make anyone feel bad and I don't want to make their job harder. And I, I don't lie in my real life and now I'm lying, but I don't want to lie with malintent. So now I have to have a whole entire story where I'm 
in these parameters. And so I build this whole thing, like, why are you in this town? Why are you back? What's your name? What do you do for, I have, I have the backstory and I have a lot of details for that backstory. And also that you could go there and scout it looking one way. Yeah. I can go and be look homeless and quiet and just slink around and then go back and have a nice purse or something. And now I'm someone different. Then that's, that's unique. And would you try to train those skills to your team? You can't teach people that you can't, you can't teach people. I work with one guy and he's so street smart. He is so street smart. We are on the same and in life, like we don't have anything in common. You would never put us together as friends really if we were in the same place, but he's got such street sense. But if this guy talked to you in real life and and told you he, he was a professional gambler, I've made millions. You're never going to believe him ever ever but if you talk to like a kitchen table mathematician and they figured out how to beat this game and i make money this way but they get in the casino and they don't know how to act but you'll believe that guy because he's so like smart on paper there was a guy that tried to bp for us and he worked at nasa and he was an astrophysicist and he was retired and we brought him to the casino and he just couldn't he couldn't follow signals and he didn't get and we were we're in a casino once and he had 10K falling out of his pocket and we're watching it from across the room. And it was just like, he just couldn't, it's just a certain, it's a certain type. But yeah, you can't teach these things. You can't teach how to turn the dealer, say this thing at this moment. You just, yeah, it's just a personality. So you have a son. Yeah. How, How do you now balance advantage play or sports betting or, or how have you since, you know, being a mom with, with, uh, being a mom. Yeah. With, you know, (laughs) yeah. Personal life, all that. Well, I bet sports more and I'm at home doing it. Yeah. And I get, I want to say I get to make my own schedule, but I really don't because if it's Saturday, I need to be on the computer like right now for college football, but I get a lot of free time and I do, I do get to make my own schedule because if we have to do the numbers at the end of the day, I can do it when he's sleeping. If we have to look back at line history or whatever, I can do that whenever. So I get to make my own schedule, which is nice. And if I have to go out of town, you know, I schedule it when he's not with me or I have a lot of help childcare wise. I make it work. It, it works fine. And I never miss a game. I never miss like an honor roll assembly. Like I don't miss anything and I, I uh, volunteer at the school. So it's, it's nice. It's mostly sports betting though. That's why. Do the other parents ask what you do? No, no. Like they'll ask me if it comes up, I try not to get in that conversation, but if it comes up, I say that I, I gamble and they don't ask because they don't understand. And I have my best, um, my best family friends, my son's best friend and his parents, we vacation together. We hang out every weekend. And one time they said, well, we don't ask because it, it seems like you don't want to talk about it. And I said, I'll tell you whatever you want to know, but I don't think that you want to know. And so we had this big conversation about it, but most people don't know what to ask. So I just don't offer, I guess. You just yeah. say I gamble. I well, my line is, I I used to play a lot of blackjack, but now I bet sports, which is true. Mm-hmm. But that's my line, and then they they think, oh, bet sports, you know, okay. No one's going to ask me what I bet and 
how do you, you know, are you originating? Like, no, no one knows what any of that yeah. means. Yeah. Before you were doing more of the sports betting stuff, did you get, uh, did, or even before you, you had a child, did the travel wear on you? The travel, I love traveling, but it hurt my social life. Like all my life, my life is just AP, advantage play, gambling, travel, get on a plane, go at any moment. And so it messed with my real life schedule. Yeah, it messed with having a normal life for sure. But I miss traveling. I miss I miss being on the road as much as I was. Yeah. I like traveling. What's the most extreme measure you've gone to to accomplish or pull off a play? I think in general, something that was standard is like you have a whole card game and you know your dealer starts eight o'clock on Friday in Atlantic City. And so you plan your life so you're free and you get on a plane, you know, West Coast time in Vegas or LA or wherever I was. And I fly to Philly and I rent a car and I drive to AC and I'm there half an hour before he starts work. And then I sit on his table. Oh, I've been here all week. And like, I just put this whole day of travel in to sit at this guy's table. And, and he asks like, where are you from or something and he doesn't know and if he knew that my whole life was revolved around his schedule what would you think that's insane right you would just you would be scared you'd be scared of this girl that did that i think about i I used to think about that a lot because we do it often um yeah or even out of the country like i'd fly out of the country to play a game i'm not on vacation it's like you have no idea that i you just don't know and i think that's that's really crazy. But we used to have, I remember we had a dealer schedule. I paid someone to get a dealer schedule in the break room at this casino. And so we had her schedule and we knew where she'd be on swing shift. It was swing shift. So day shift, because we want to make sure that we had that table before she got there. I would sit or someone else would sit. We'd get there at one o'clock and we just play it all day on the square. And it's so boring to know things and have to sit and play five dollars five dollars ten dollars whatever it is that doesn't sound extreme but it is to just sit there because you know you're setting up this play eight hours later i think the flying around the world to play with a certain and them having no idea yeah i really haven't thought a whole lot about it i've driven many hours to get to a place you know or we show up and the game's not there anymore and we got turned around like they have no idea what you went through yeah and no, if, yeah, yeah. if all they sorts, knew. All sorts of weird mm-hmm. things that so much conversation and number crunching mm-hmm. and discussion mm-hmm. and they have no idea. There will be times that you go to a city to play a game and it has to be the exact right conditions and you're, and you're not leaving until, you know, you're not a mom. You have no life except for advantage play. And you go there and you're there for six days. And you just go in every shift, every, let's say it's day shift, you go in every day shift, check the conditions, no good. It, whether it's a dealer or a certain game is open or whatever, and then you go back to your hotel and you do it again. And you're there every single day and then you finally get the game on and then you lose or something. <laughs> what but about yeah. to, the game is open, but what you have to To get do a seat? To get the conditions right, oh. yeah. I mean, just getting a seat can be like, a big hassle and it's always you're waiting for a seat and they're playing with red chips and they're down to their last you already know where i'm going and then they build up their stack to you know exactly where i'm going there was one time i was waiting in in reno at um el dorado 
El Dorado, right? It was in Reno, and my BP got a seat. It was like a Saturday night. He got a seat, so he's just he's he has a seat. It's not the one I need, and he's just betting like table minimum and blah blah blah. And you can't play slow because you need to bust the people out, so you have to play fast. So he's like in and out taking breaks and there was a guy in my seat and he was like 120 years old and he's got the red chips and he's playing and I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. I waited like four hours. So he finally gets up and I run and I get the seat and I sit down and he peed all over the seat. And it was so disgusting. And I just sat and pee and it's Saturday night and there's no chair next to me to like switch. And I've got to play and now I have to like turn it on and like start thinking and playing and then we had another partner there and I text him and he got me a new chair on the break it was so gross oh. and I had to sit in like these pans for the next four hours oh. it was so gross but yeah that's a memory <laughs> what about uh, times when you have to get someone off is there any tactics you use to try to like get someone to go away or I've tried you play poorly which you think would work because they get angry when they lose but they win just as often so it's not like you can force them to lose. And then there's being rude to them, which I, I honestly don't like doing. I'm a fan of just paying them. I'm a fan of having a teammate just come and pay them because it's weirder when I pay them, but someone comes up and they're like, I played her last night. It was, I did so well. Like, can I play here? Here's whatever. And it's funny when someone buys the seat and they leave and then I just take it and the guy who bought it just like leaves. But we try to do it when the floorman isn't looking or the dealer you know whatever but i'd rather buy a seat than try smoking them out or like elbowing and being mean i'd just rather here's some money give us a seat was the transition from beating casino games to learning sports betting was it natural or i know that you you wrote something recently for unabated where you said like oh yeah sports betting is a lot harder but you're you're having success with it i think sports betting is harder a harder skill to learn than poker because of less access to information yeah i would say that and poker's solved at this point and there's more information online for poker i just think it's a harder skill to learn but i think card counting is way easier than either of those but then if you're doing more advanced you know if you're sequencing aces that's really hard that's harder than both poker and in sports betting it depends what you do and and i and i write things that say i'm a new sports better which i'm new at like i'm new at diving deeper into sports betting but and it's, i'm self-deprecating and i act like i'm this i'm defensive right now but i've made i said it before i've made like a, a healthy six figures betting sports starting in 2015 and people don't realize that because i'm like oh i'm new and i'm learning unabated tools no i you haven't won 10 million yet i haven't won 10 million yet but i've won probably more than i've definitely more than most people who are trying to do it as a skill game and the thing is i picked the low-hanging fruit and i'm not talking about bonuses i'm just talking about unabated has tools where i don't need to know how the tool works on the back end I don't need to know. I just need to know this is the price I need and I need lines that are about this. I need to not, you know, tease this direction if I'm betting a teaser and then I need to just put in what I think will have an edge and then it'll tell me if I have an edge and then I have to go bet that. So what has made sports betting feel harder to to get into? It, it's the numbers. That's what it is. Like I could not originate. I I would never, if you locked me in a room and I can't leave till I can successfully beat baseball or you know with my own numbers i'm never leaving i will die in that room like it will never happen so if you want to be that guy it's it's really really hard that makes sense because card yeah. counting it it was solved it's solved and poker's 
somewhat solved. solved. Yeah. In sports betting, there's a lot of gray area. And when you're counting cards, you can calculate your edge with every effective removal. You know, two's out, I know my edge. Ten's out, I know my edge. Sports betting isn't like that. Mm. So I guess that's hard. That's what's hard for me. Is it a little bit more of, you know, you have an edge in hindsight? No, because you got tools. Yeah, I have the tools. Well, the thing is, when I first beat sports betting, I was just betting weak lines versus pinnacle. And I couldn't, I couldn't intelligently say, well, pinnacle is my source of truth. And this is the edge I have because this line is, you know, plus 110 and this is minus, you know, 130. I couldn't tell you my edge, but I could tell you, wow, there's a big difference. I'm going to choose this much and I'm going to bet. And I made a lot of money doing that. But now because I've learned more, I can tell you how I was doing it. But I... I don't think people realize that, no, I've made money. I'm, I just don't speak well about it, I guess. Well, you're one of the most respected whole carters that I, I know of. I'll take Relatively that. speaking, yeah. newer with sports betting, but that doesn't mean you're not successful. I, I don't. I can talk about uh, advantage play where it's like, obviously, she knows a lot about it. But when I talk about sports betting, I just don't speak I don't get my thoughts out well, mm-hmm. but I've made a lot of money and I don't want people to think that I just am there for the fun of it, I guess. You already took the plunge. You put yourself out there, mm. your your real name, your face. Why do it? What's What was worth it? I want to move on from gambling full-time. I'll always gamble with an edge, probably sports betting but I want to move on from that and do creative things and so I want to write a book I've written a book basically and I want to do TV I want to I want to be a consultant for gambling shows like scripted shows where they have gambling scenes and they get it wrong like the movie The Card Counter where it's a six to five yeah. table yes and he doubles a nine versus, yeah. the, versus the ten up right yes how? Just, How did that yeah, happen? Yeah, I want to be on set for 10 minutes to say this, this, and this. I want to be the go-to. And I, one of my friends is the go-to magic consultant. Like, you have, you're have, you doing a magic scene, he's the guy. I want to be the girl that, that does that. So that's one thing. But I'm also, I optioned my story rights about being a professional gambler and growing up and stuff like that. And so it's finally... We're finally developing a scripted show, like a series, and so that's finally happening, and that would not have happened if I didn't put my face out there and my name and do the Ringer Gamblers podcast. So I knew I'd lose opportunities, but I knew that I could make money betting sports and still do some casino stuff, and I can write a book, and I can make a scripted show and hopefully become the consultant go-to. So that's my hope. And you've won hundreds of thousands sports betting, so you don't need the other stuff is for the creative pro- Is that right? I've, I've won since 2016. I remember my son was a baby and he was in my lap. So from 2016, then there was a break in there until now where I'm betting more because, because I use the tools on unabated, honestly. I'm, I'm up mid six figures, like for sure, and not with bonuses, with actual sports betting. The bonuses are great too. Like if you can... If you want to do that, do that because there's money. But just sports betting, I'm up uh, mid six figures, and I, <laughs> I, 
I don't expect that to change soon if I continue to learn. You have to keep learning. And do you find like that's the good, healthy balance for you where you're at in life now? You got creative outlet. Sometimes I put the creative stuff to the side, Uh but, and I have like a tug of war with myself. Like you want to do these things, so stop doing these things. And I, it's like, it's a war. I have Mm. this, I think about this every day. (laughs) I have anxiety about this. Yeah. And for people that want to read some of your writing, you've been blogging for a number years. of years. Yeah. yeah. A number I, of years now. RxGamble.com. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of them are like really moving. Some of them are just <laughs> like like quirky or entertaining yeah, yeah. AP stories. So I guess people could check that out. Do you want people to check that out? Yeah, no. It's RxGamble.com and it's my blog. And yeah, that's another thing. I don't post as often as I would like to because I'm doing sports betting i also have like life stuff that takes me away which is really frustrating Mm -hmm. which is a whole other thing but um yeah i would like to bet and hang out with my kid and finish my creative stuff but something's always pulling me but it does seem like the creative stuff is it's happening yeah it's happening and so hopefully and it's all gambling adjacent because that's all i know right so it's all gambling adjacent but it's it's creative which is what i want to do so hopefully before long, people can see the, yeah. the short film. Hopefully by the end of this year. And before Hope, too long, the show. Hopefully next year, there's a scripted series. So uh-huh. Hopefully it's done. And then a book. You'll let us know. Yeah, I'll be back. Yeah. When, the, when the book's ready. Yeah. And for people that want to use the same tools you've used to make Unabated. multiple six yeah. figures at sportsbettingunabated.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your story Thanks, with us. Colin. <laughs> it's, it's actually really fun to interview you because uh, I've known about teams that you're part of and mm-hmm. things and and for me it's like i didn't get into that stuff so yeah. i get to hear about it and kind of like live vicariously through hearing other people's yeah. stories so thank you all right thanks